Thank you so much. It's great to be here with you today. It's a, a beautiful thing to be with the body of believers. Just turn to your neighbor and say, I'm so glad you're here. Don't you hate it when preachers make you do that? I know, but it's fun to watch who's compliant and who's not. But really, I mean, sometimes people come to church. It reminds me of how people come to, uh, how people go to uh, amusement parks. Have you ever seen people in line at an amusement park? It's an amusement park, people. Lighten up. Enjoy. I think kind of, that's kind of like church. Sometimes we come to church. Lighten up. It's a beautiful, wonderful thing to be having church in this movie theater. Turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians 5. We'll start at verse 13. Before I, or while you're turning there, before I kind of get into our message today, I want to just give you a little update. Last week I told you that we um, were in a negotiation with uh, the theater. Um, They essentially, long story short, they came back and said, really, we want you to give back an hour that we've already given you. And so we we don't want you to last till 1.30. We want you to be gone at 12.30. And we want to move you into a smaller theater, uh, theater three instead of theater two. And we want to take a theater away from you. So instead of four theaters, we want you to have three theaters. And we're like, uh, that's not going to work. So essentially, uh, we weren't very good negotiators. Um, <clears throat> Actually, the way the system works is there's an intermediary company that negotiates on our behalf, so we actually never got to the negotiating table. Uh, We told them we'd pay them more. We told them we'd do any number of things to help them. Uh, But I think essentially the bottom line is they want to show more movies and not have us uh, clogging up their halls. So we have done everything we can to bless this movie theater, and we need to leave the same way. We need to leave them blessed. So, but it's time... Uh, for us to move to another location, uh, uh, and, and that has become clear. And so we're looking, actively looking for a, a new location to meet in, and so we want you to pray about it with us. And uh, I feel like when the Lord told us to come to Austin or, or allowed us to come to Austin, um, when I came here, I felt like there was something about the southwest side of the city that we were supposed to be assigned to. We're probably not going to go north above the city. That's not the place uh, where God has assigned us. It's southwest, which I s- essentially have interpreted as below the river and s- west of 35. And now if you know that quadrant, that's a big quadrant. We could end up anywhere uh, in that quadrant uh, if the location is right. And so um, this probably won't be our, our final resting place. Well, that sounds like we're dying. No, it's... <laughs> it probably won't be. No, we, we, we will probably have one or, or two more places, and we'll, I'll keep giving you updates as we go through it, but I wanted you to know that uh, that's coming. That's out there, and I want you to pray with me. During these 21 days of prayer, I want you to dig in. I want you to consecrate your own life to Christ, and I want you to pray that we as a, a group of believers will be able to be consecrated to God's purpose and his plan, that we will find the next location, and that that location will be useful in proclaiming the love of Jesus to a hurt and dying world. That's what we're here for. 
All right. So um, and and listen, we we can we could go any any number of places. Um, we we may end up in, under a tent somewhere. And uh, we can do that. And, and here's why. I believe if we, have, if we can look across the globe and see underground Chinese church members spending hours getting to an undisclosed location because they can't be found out. And then they get together with a group of people and whisper their worship and share the scriptures together in the risk of being persecuted and maybe even killed. We we can meet under a tent for a few weeks. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, I think we need to have this perspective of who we are as the body of Christ. No matter where we are, no matter what location we have, we are the body of believers, and we can worship anywhere we are. Amen? Amen. All right. So there, there you go. There's, there's a little update on that. Keep praying, and I'll, I'll, I'll keep you in the loop as we keep moving forward. All right. As you know, we've been on a uh, series called Numa, Unlocking the Mystery of the Holy Spirit. And this has been a, a fantastic series. I've really enjoyed this. I, I originally started uh, this series uh, during the summer because I wanted to get it into the life of our culture, one chapel culture. I wanted to talk about the Holy Spirit. I wanted to acknowledge his role as a person in the life of our church, in the life of who we are as individuals. And so I thought, you know, while the summer is here, uh, just before we kind of ramp up for the fall, let's talk about the Holy Spirit. And, you know, we won't freak too many people out because people aren't typically, you know, uh, coming brand new to church. You know, church attendance kind of levels out in the summer. Well, guess what happened? We grew by like 150 people. Now here's now here's now here's what here's what's happening. So so people are hungry and thirsty for the Holy Spirit and what he means to them. What God wants to give them. When you talk about the Holy Spirit, what happens is it makes people more and more thirsty. And I am so grateful for that. And so that's what's happening around us. And so this is, this is a, a really wonderful series that we're acknowledging his role in us and in our church. So <clears throat> let's turn to Galatians chapter 5. If you're there, we're going to start in verse 13. And we are going to begin by reading here. You, my brothers, were called to be free but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Now, everywhere that sinful nature is used, I'm going to use the word flesh today because I think flesh is a better representation of what the Apostle Paul actually uh, meant when he was talking about this. And I'll, I'll kind of tell you why in just a minute. In fact, I, the, many of you already have that in your version. Uh, some of you have an updated NIV version, and it says flesh. But uh, I think it, it more accurately describes what we're after today in understanding how our flesh and spirit um, work. And so I saw a sign the other day. Uh, of, a, of a church here in Austin, and on that church sign it said this. It said, God wants spiritual fruit, not religious nuts. That was a, I thought that was a pretty good sign. God wants spiritual fruit, not religious nuts. We're going to talk about the fruit of the Spirit today. We're going to talk about how the fruit is a, is a byproduct of the Spirit living inside of you. But there is a problem with that, and it is that the flesh and the spirit are in conflict with each other. 
here's what's happening as we've talked about the the holy spirit um you can see uh, they'll put it up here body soul and spirit is kind of how we're all made and it's important for us to kind of see this as the way that god is working in us the body we're made of body that's our physical being uh that's our physical reality then our soul which is our mind our will and our emotions and then our spirit now um People disagree about this spirit thing here. I happen to believe that when God comes into your life, when you are born again, when you surrender to him and you repent of your sins and you believe and your sins are washed away, the spirit of God comes alive in you, right? Your spirit is awakened. You are born again. And that spirit is representative of that born again experience. I think that's dormant inside of you. And so as you are born again, the Holy Spirit, that is the space, that is the place that houses the Spirit of God. Your body can't house the Spirit of God. If your body was trying to house the Spirit of God, then you would explode. Your skin would not be able to hold it. We're talking about the creator of the universe here. We're talking about the Spirit of God that rules and hovers over the earth, rules over all things and hovers over the earth at creation. There's no way your body could hold that. It wouldn't work. So he couldn't put it in your body. That would be weird. And then he couldn't put it in your mind. It's not just a mind. It's not just intellectual assent to some nice teachings. That's not what we're doing here. We're not just, we're not just saying, oh, Jesus was a pretty nice guy, and I kind of like his teachings, and so I'm going to try to follow them with my mind. That's not what Christianity is. That's not what God is all about. What we're talking about here is becoming born again, born of the Spirit. And that becomes alive in you, and that becomes the place where the Holy Spirit dwells. He made a miracle inside of you. It is your spirit. But here's the problem. Typically, most of us, when we come to Christ, then we, uh, there's a wrestling that begins to happen between the body and the soul and the spirit. And what we're looking for is for the spirit to move from third place to first place. We're looking for the spirit to move to be in charge of every decision that your mind makes. You're looking for the spirit to be in charge of your emotions. Everything that your emotions are, uh, everything that's happening in your emotions, everything that, that you experience in your emotions, we want those to be submitted to the work of the Holy Spirit. What about the, the body, my, the appetites of your flesh? We want those to be surrendered to the spirit. And so... This, this work that we're in, this crazy thing that we're involved in where we're born again and yet there is a process by which we have to kill the flesh, we wanna I want to talk about that today as we talk about the fruit of the Spirit. We're going to talk about how the Apostle Paul saw this, how he understood it, how he, how he saw us becoming people with freedom versus people who were enslaved to our own appetites. People who were experiencing the freedom to love one another versus being enslaved by our own desires. My fifth child, his name is Owen. He is right here on the front row. What a beautiful boy. He is so amazing. And uh, he's four years old. And, uh, and I have watched him go through this wrestling. The wrestling that would be a good analogy of the flesh and the spirit. And you can see it when they're trying to decide whether or not they should do something they know they shouldn't do. 
and it's so expressive on their faces, little four-year-old faces. And he's, he, I find them sometimes when they don't know you're watching and they're thinking, they're looking around to see, should I, shouldn't I? That is the war of the flesh and the spirit. Sometimes I, we're trying to break up a fight, and a lot of times I will say, now, Owen, I want you to say, say you're sorry to your brother. Say you're sorry and, and ask him to forgive you. No! And he'll just say it. Say you're sorry. No, I don't want to. I don't want to. <laughs> he says, I don't want to say it. I don't want to say those things. My mind, my will, my emotions, I don't want to give in to that. I want what I want. I want the toy. I like the fact that I hit him. I don't want to say I'm sorry. In many ways, that is a perfect example of our war, of you and I, as God is reaching out to you with his spirit and saying, hey, son, I want you to do this. No! Hey, son, don't treat those people that way. They deserve it. Daughter, don't act that way. That will not be good for you. That will, that will destroy your life if you act that way. No, I want to do this. This is great. Don't you know how fun this is? It's exactly how the war of the flesh and the spirit works. The flesh against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. Watch what the apostle Paul says here. He says, you, my brothers, were called, in verse 13, let's read it one more time. You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. Going to stop right here one more time. And I want you to get your little pen and paper out, and I want you to write some notes or use your, use your iPhone and make some notes out of this because I think you retain better. But I, I, we can't talk about the fruit of the Spirit and this passage without going back into Galatians to understand what he's saying. Because what the Apostle Paul is essentially saying here is, I want you to use your freedom to love people. He says, don't use your freedom as something that you launch off of and to get your own way. To do what you want to do. To do the thing that you want to do. Don't use your freedom, don't misuse your freedom in order to mistreat others. To indulge in your own fleshly wants or your sinful nature. He says, I want you to use the freedom that you've received to serve one another. Now, if you look at the rest of the, of the book, this letter that the Apostle Paul has written, he's talking to the Galatian converts. Galatian converts that have come to Christ, they've put their faith in Jesus and yet some other people have come along to try to enslave them to something. And these people are called Judaizers, most likely. Judaizers, J-U-D-A-I-Z-E-R-S. These are people who believed that not only was it a good thing to believe in Jesus, but you also needed to obey every part of the ceremonial law in the Torah. These were people who said, it's good to believe in Jesus, that's great, you have faith in Christ, but you need to be circumcised. Circumcision, that's what actually is a subject of this entire book. Now, um, circumcision is a little awkward to talk about sometimes. Let me just say this, um, maybe not sometimes, all the time. 
uh, circumcision was a sign that God gave Abraham that he, that he would be the father of these people and those people would receive the mark, a mark, circumcision, the cutting away of flesh in order to be his people. That was a sign of, that they were his people and he was their God. So, so we understand that that's part of what God gave as a sign. But what we have to look at here as we, as we see the Apostle Paul wrestling with this idea is, is that being circumcised on the eighth day of your life, which was how the law read. That's how it worked. You were circumcised on the eighth day of your life. That's a whole different thing than being circumcised on the 20th year of your life. Yeah, it's just different. It's just completely different. So you can imagine the angst of the Galatian converts when they said, as the Gentiles came to Christ, they weren't Jews, they were Gentiles. And so then the, these, these Jewish believers, so to speak, came and said, all right, now it's time for you to be circumcised. Huh? You can imagine that they were asking the Apostle Paul, is this really true? What was essentially happening, if I could boil it down into something that's quite simple, I don't want to be oversimplistic, but what they were saying was, is that you must do these things according to the law, the law of Moses. These ceremonial things, you must do these things in order to do two things. Number one, to be truly saved, truly receive salvation from God. But secondly, to, re, to resist the, the, the work of evil in your life. Because you understand the Old Testament model, the Jewish mindset would have been the two things that you got to do as a, part, as a Jewish man or woman is you got to obey the Torah and you have to repent of your sins. Obey and repent of all evil. All right? So they're trying, they're trying to put these two things together with faith in Jesus and being saved by grace. Now, the reason I keep using ceremonial law is because there's also a moral law to the Torah. And so the moral law remains. It continues to be in effect. And we'll, I'll show you that here in just a second. The moral law we're supposed to obey. The ceremonial law, the Apostle Paul is making the case. It's not about those things anymore. It's not about doing every little piece of the law. There's something else that you're supposed to receive. There's something else that you're supposed to experience in freedom. You're supposed to receive freedom from the heavy burden of the law. You're supposed to receive freedom from the constraints of the law. Now, when I hear Christians sometimes talk about that, what it sounds like to me is they, oh, I'm so thankful for grace. It's so wonderful just to be in grace and just to believe in Jesus. It's so, we're not under the law. What that means, I hear them saying, is you get a get-out-of-jail-free card. You can do whatever you want to do. You can do, I mean, you come to Christ, you said the prayer, you're in. You don't have to do any of this stuff anymore. It's just under grace. Just Jesus is great. Listen, it is true, you don't have to pay the penalty for your own sins. 
But what the Apostle Paul is trying to convince the Galatian converts of is that they need, instead of to be consumed with obedience to the law and obedience of their flesh, they need, they need to be consumed with life in the Spirit. Right? Are you, tra- are you guys tracking with me? Am I losing you here? Obedience, obedience from, from their flesh, life in the Spirit. There's something here that the Apostle Paul is trying to convey to them that is a little bit mysterious. It's a little bit confusing because it seems like we still have to obey, don't we? Well, yes, we need to obey the Scriptures, but there's a way that this obedience comes about that the Apostle Paul is talking about. And I want to I read some of the rest of this passage here, now that we have this context. Oh, I wanted to tell you this. The Apostle Paul is using a little play on words here. He, what he's saying is he's using the word flesh because he's been talking about circumcision. And so he's, use, he's turning from this ceremonial law. Don't let them put that burden on you. Don't let them put that yoke of slavery on you. And now he's turning and helping the Galatian converts to understand how they should deal with one another and how they should deal with their own fleshly desires. So he's using flesh in two different ways. And he turns here and he says, not only is that a work of the flesh and not of the spirit, that doesn't save you. Being circumcised does not save you. Works of the flesh cannot save you. They cannot provide acceptance from God. You are saved by grace through faith, not of yourselves so that nobody can boast. There's no works you can do that make God accept you. There's no works you can do that make God more pleased with you, all right? He, is, he loves you. He believes in you. He wants you to follow after him. He wants to have a relationship with you. So he says this to them, and then, they, and then they're like, huh? Now, what does this mean? And the Apostle Paul begins to turn the argument onto its head by saying, now, neither should you use the freedom that you have this freedom from these laws to mistreat one another, to be cruel to one another. He says you're supposed to use it to serve one another and to love one another. Let's read it one last time and then we'll keep going here. You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's Leviticus 19, 18. He's saying, here's what you've got to focus on. The law, everything that you need to obey, I want you to understand you're going to get it if you will embrace the, the life of the Spirit. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. What was happening to them is the Galatian believers were starting to fight with each other over this. They were really getting angry, and there was a a real conflict happening. Verse 16 says, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature, or the flesh. They are in conflict. You should circle that little word there. They are in conflict with each other, and And so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not, notice what he says here, you are not under the law. You are not under the law. Now, what does that mean? I was reading a little bit uh, about this idea, and uh, one of the... uh, 
writers, one of the commentaries said this, to live under, to live under the law means to live under it as the governing principle of life. That is, one orients his or her entire life around the law of Moses. And that was the life of a Jewish person. Paul is trying to say, look, you've got to reorient your life not around the law. Now you've got to reorient your life around the spirit. He says it also means to be under the curse. If you're under the law, it means to be under the curse of the law. And it's sin-revealing, confusing, confining powers. That is, when a person lives under the spirit... He or she is not going to be held accountable to the law system and has been set free from its nastiness. Don't you like that? It's like it's being set free from the law's nastiness. Now, here's what the Apostle Paul is trying to say. He's trying to say life in the Spirit does something else. It's kind of like what I was talking about a few weeks ago when I described the Holy Spirit as whole foods. Do you remember this description? We're talking about how some people, they choose to not acknowledge the Holy Spirit in their Christian walk. And so it's this kind of the same as having to plant their own food, raise their own cattle, have chickens everywhere, go through the process, making sure everything's fed, making sure everything's right, and going through all this process, and then, and then finally harvesting it all and make, being able to, to consume the food. Or if you have the Holy Spirit, you could just go to Whole Foods. If you understand the role of the Holy Spirit to help you to make your life full and free, there's something that happens when you embrace him, when you embrace the life of the Spirit. And so it's kind of like this. If you, another way to say it would be, if you were typing on a typewriter, how many people have ever typed on a typewriter? Yeah, wow, that's a lot of you. How many people have never typed on a typewriter? Wow, that's really not very many of you, all, all under 25. A typewriter is this thing that... <sighs> typewriter is a thing that you used to have to use. I learned how to type on a manual typewriter. And then I thought it was really awesome when I got to learn on an electric typewriter. So I typed, I would type and learn how to type, and then I had the little bell. Ding! really awesome and then there would be a mistake oh white out and you get the white out and you put it on there and then you have to line it up just right and then and then it wouldn't be right again or you'd make another mistake and finally you'd be like forget it I'll do the whole thing over again and you'd, you'd throw it away and then you would have to start over just as the computer is the fulfillment of the typewriter. <laughs> the computer is the fulfillment of the typewriter. It gets the same work done, but it does it in an entirely new way. That's life in the spirit versus life under the law. Or as we might say, the flesh versus the spirit. And so if we understand this, because the spirit of God is the, the fulfillment, it's the continued fulfillment of the law in your life. Jesus came, he said, I have come to fulfill the law, not to abolish it, not to get away, not to do away with it. I've come to make sure it's done. 
And the way that he does that is he gives us the, the spirit of God and it lives in us and it begins to take over. It begins to direct our steps. It begins to share with us the ways of God, the work of God in our lives. And the temptation is, as a Christian, is to revert back to works. The temptation is to revert back to works of the flesh. The temptation is to revert back to, if I do these things, if I read my Bible every day, if I make sure that I do what Pastor Ross tells me, if I make sure that I'm at church every Sunday, God will love me and like me, and everything will be okay. That's not good news, people. That's bad news. Having to do everything perfect and right is not what we were called to live under. Now, I believe that the Spirit of God gives us the power to do things right, to do things well. But if you don't acknowledge him as the source of all that, if you think it's your own flesh, if you think it's your own uh, ability, your own discipline, you will be very sad indeed. You'll be discouraged. And it's so easy for Christians to fall into this. And so what we're talking about here is life in the Spirit that the Apostle Paul's trying to get them to understand. You are not, if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. In fact, you're still fulfilling the law. You're still obeying. You're still doing the right thing, but you're doing it from a place of power. You're doing it from a place of encouragement and courage. So he starts here in Acts 19, or sorry, verse 19. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. That's quite a list, isn't it? He says, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. He said, there's no doubt, if you live like this, it will destroy you. You will not Inherit the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God will not be strong in you. He will not be able to come in you. You're doing all the things that you want to do. You're doing what your flesh wants to do. You're slave to the appetites of your own sinful nature. You're a slave to your flesh. He says, don't go that direction. He says, but the fruit, everybody say fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of being consumed by the Spirit, the fruit of being overwhelmed immersed, baptized by the Spirit of God is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. It's a curious how he says, I want you to be free. Not Some people think that freedom is the ability to do whatever they want to. But really, it's not true. That freedom is actually just a cloak in their minds to be enslaved to their own sinful nature. Really, what the Apostle Paul is talking about is he's saying, don't be enslaved to that stuff. Don't do those things that you want to do, that things that, the thing that makes you want to do the things that will destroy your life. He says, I want you to be free, and that freedom is loving other people. That freedom is serving other people. You're going to find freedom that you didn't know existed because as you experience love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and kindness and faithfulness and gentleness, is self-control, you will find a freedom you've never known. Those who belong to Christ, he says, <laughs> this is interesting, verse 24, those who belong to, Jesus, to Christ Jesus have crucified, everybody say crucified, crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Huh, what's he saying right there? Let's get into that in just a second. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step 
with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. The first thing I want to tell you is these two lists, these two lists are not lists for you to work on. I got to stop going to those orgies. I got to I, I got to stop being hateful. I got to stop being jealous. It's not like it doesn't happen. Look, have you have you seen Austin? People are consumed with this stuff. And they think it's the stuff that'll make them feel better. You do you see that? We got to talk about this in church. If we can't talk about it in church, we're in trouble. Look, I got to stop hating. I got to stop being so selfish. I got to I got to be more loving. I got to be more I got to be more giving. I got to be more I got to have more peace. I just got I need I need my zen. These aren't lists that you have to work on. These lists are lists for us to understand there's something that God wants to see in our lives. And he wants us, he wants to measure, he wants to measure our life in the spirit. He wants us to be able to measure our life in the spirit. Here, write, write a few things down here. Number, number one, the fruit of the spirit is a result and not a practice. The fruit of the spirit is a result and not a practice. It's a byproduct. It's not something you work on. It's not something you, you force yourself. Being able, listen to this, being able to love others is not the result of discipline. It is a miracle. It is a miracle. Being, being able to love others. Now, yeah, you, I mean, you see how messed up people are who don't have the spirit of God living in them. Um, and I know people try and they work on it and some do pretty good actually. Some people raise families, and they have a family where they love one another, and they, they, they do it out of their own discipline and out of their own, but they're missing something. They're missing power, and they're missing the gift of God for eternal life. You can do it. It's just really hard work. The Spirit of God comes into you, and there's something miraculous that happens. You begin to be overtaken by him, by his desire, by his... And, and so, so here's the second point. The fruit of the Spirit is a process that takes time. It doesn't happen quickly. It doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen in one fell swoop. I tell Owen, hey, you need to apologize when you hit somebody like that. That's not nice, even if it's an accident. Isn't that... That's the deal. That's their argument every time. It was an accident. Well... <laughs> You still should say, I'm so sorry. And so it doesn't happen in one night. It doesn't have to. It happens in a process, and there is a cultivating process that takes time. What is that cultivation that happens? The process, what is that? The Spirit of God comes alive in a person when the environment is cultivated. Now, go with me here. Fruit grows when it's in an environment where there's cultivation. It demands sunlight. It demands the right amount of water. Too much water, it dies. It's too much sunlight, it dies. It, you, you've got, you've got this, this, this environment that's being created. You're cultivating an environment where the Spirit of God can come alive in you, where the fruit can come out. And so what makes fruit grow? Water, sun, uh, 
um, uh, the right soil, um, the right weeding, making sure that there's no weeds around choking life out of it, um, clearing away the rocks, making sure that it's protected from the cold. And when you and when you um, when you when it needs it, you put fertilizer on it and you put manure on it. You cultivate something and fruit grows. Life in the spirit is much more about cultivating environments than it is about discipline or making yourself do something. It's cultivating an environment for the Holy Spirit to be awakened in your life, to, for him to have permission. I want you to notice something here. Look at me. Look at me. This war between the flesh and the spirit, it's much more about surrendering than it is about conquering. This war between the flesh and the spirit is about surrendering to the spirit, not about necessarily about conquering the flesh. There is a conquering of the flesh, but you do it once you've surrendered to the spirit. He gives you all that you need to do it. It's cultivating an environment where he is at work, where he's alive. And what does that look like? Well, the apostle Paul kind of gives us a hint here. He says, look, you, there is, a, there is a, a dynamic. You've crucified the flesh. Crucified the flesh. Now, have you ever noticed that you, if you know what crucifixion is, is everybody, you know what crucifixion is? It's dying, it's death on a cross. A cross is an instrument of torture and death. <laughs> the Apostle Paul uses it here and he says, you've crucified the flesh and you're keeping in step with the spirit. That means there is some responsibility for you to create environment, but you can't crucify yourself. <laughs> Isn't that sad? You don't get what I mean. Put your arm on the cross. <laughs> Somebody else has to do it. Somebody else has to be involved in the crucifying of the flesh. It's not just you. There's a, there's a community that happens. There's a process that takes time. The two elements of, this, of life in the spirit are communion with him and a community with others. The two elements of the process as you cultivate an environment is communion with him, is sharing with him. What does that look like? Well, it might look like praying instead of watching TV. It might look like having a, 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 a life of relationship where you're talking to God about the intimate details of what's going on in your life versus watching The Biggest Loser. Some of you should hang up the TV. You're watching too much of it, and you should spend the time praying. Now, I'm not saying that prayer equals life in the Spirit. Because I know a lot of people who pray a lot, and they're mean. I'm talking about surrender. I'm talking about surrendering to the will of the Spirit of God within you. I'm not just talking about a duty of prayer. Are you tracking with me? All right. So communion and community. So there's a, there's a cultivation there's with the, with the Holy Spirit. It, it may mean Bible reading over romance novels. It may mean church versus going out and getting drunk. Okay, but church and Bible reading and prayer do not get you saved. Surrender to the Spirit. The life of the Spirit is what creates relationship with God. Number three, finally, 
so we've seen a fruit of the Spirit is a result, not a practice. It's a process that takes time and cultivation. And number three, <coughs> sorry, I thought I could get through without one of those. <coughs> number three, it's measured by relationships. It's measured by relationships. The fruit of the Spirit is a measurement tool for you and for me. Now, we're not supposed to be judgmental of one another. We're not supposed to be critical of each other and devour one each other and, and backbite and be bitter. That is not what the church is supposed to be. In fact, one chapel, we have to be the kind of people that will really serve and love one another. We have to use our freedom as the Apostle Paul has given it to us and serve and love one another. There's no way for us to be the church he wants us to be if we have fighting and backbiting and anger foolish talking churches where that goes on and you've all seen them you've all seen churches where they have that going on people are fighting the board's fighting with other people who are on the board or who used to be on the board or blah 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 all that stuff that means the life of the spirit is in short supply the life of the Spirit causes us to serve one another, even when there's a disagreement. When there's a disagreement, we come to the table, we begin to share, we begin to uh, encourage one another in the fact that we're both surrendered to the life of the Spirit. But that's not how it happens in a church. Sometimes you come to the table, there's a disagreement, and you want to point at the other side and say, you're sinful. That's sin. And then you use the God card. God told me you were in sin. That's, that's not godly. We come to the table together and we share. We share the meal together. We share in communion and we share in community. And so that is so important for us to understand that in relationships, as we are doing life together, as we're growing together, that we are measuring one another as fruit inspectors. <laughs> you can't be judgmental, but you can inspect the fruit. And you can sit down across from somebody and say, Hey, man, this is really a difficult thing for me to do, but you, you have an issue in your life, and I want to talk to you about it. I fear that the American church has little of that. We're all too busy. We're all too consumed in what we're trying to do and accomplish in our own lives, and, and so we, we can't prioritize meeting with a group of people every week who will help us navigate difficulties of life where the spirit the life of the spirit can grow among us there's two places to live out this kind of community at one chapel and it is in connect groups and it is in team one team one is the group that makes makes things happen around here they they serve together on teams they share with each other and and listen it happens you have disagreement on those teams when they're trying to set up and tear down and somebody's in the, in the hallway bossing you around and hey put this over there oh really who made you boss <laughs> you know what that is that's the work of the life of the spirit there's a measurement that can come out there there's a there's an ability to say uh bro chill out one or the other, 
And, that, and, and, and it's okay to do that, but there has to be investment, there has to be relationship, there have to be a community of people that you're connected to, and as you connect to that group or as you connect to that team, something happens, the life of the Spirit comes alive, you start to be measured, you're crucifying the flesh, there's an environment, go with me, cultivating an environment where the life of the Spirit is coming alive among you because you're surrendering. You're not controlling, you're not trying to discipline, you're surrendering. To the spirit, the life of the spirit. Our mission will always be to help people move from where they are to where Jesus wants them to be. The spirit of God coming alive in them. That's what we're doing as a church. We're moving from the place where they are, no matter where they are in their journey. Maybe they don't even know who Jesus is yet, but we're helping them discover who he is. Maybe they're just newly saved and they're baby Christians and they need to go on in and learn the truths of God's word. Or maybe they've been a Christian for a long time and they need to move further. We need to help whoever it is to move and grow into what Jesus wants them to be. But here's what I want to challenge you on, church. We've got a fall coming up here, and we're going to be moving locations. That's going to be in some ways, uh, it could be a distraction. Because what I want to happen inside of us is I want us to dig down and make sure we're being a real church. I want to make sure we're really sharing life across a, a kitchen table. I want to make sure we're connected to somebody who's asking us the hard questions. That we're all individually willing to surrender our lives to one another. That we're really attaching. And this fall, I want you to find a group to belong to. Some of you need to lead a group and you need to go for it. And you need to get in the saddle because God is working in you. And you can feel it. You can hear him calling you. But I'm so busy, Lord. And oh, my family needs me for this. And I'm Listen, I know priorities do need to be set. Priorities need to be set. And it's the same for our church. And the priorities for this fall are... Learning how to connect in a smaller group and opening our lives to one another and finding a place where you can serve, finding a place where you can use your gifts. Because here's the truth. Our mission for the city, our mission for seeing people come to Christ, our mission is most successful when each member of the body of Christ at one chapel is serving others as the Apostle Paul wrote, freedom to serve one another, freedom to love one another by using their God-given gifts, talents, and resources. When you're engaged using what God gave you, it's going to serve somebody else and people are going to grow. When you're engaged, maybe you're not ready. Maybe you're not ready to be in some kind of leadership or you, you, don't, you don't know what you can do. Listen, anybody can be on a team to serve. Anybody can be on a team to serve. And you will find that in that serving, in that team, the life of the Spirit will present itself. It will come alive. I want to challenge you to do that. I want to challenge you to give in to that as we, as we move from where we are to where Jesus wants one chapel to be, okay? Close your eyes and let's pray. Father, thank you for the word of God that illuminates our hearts and our minds. Thank you for the word of God that gives us strength and understanding. I pray that in every heart and every life and every person here represented that you would Pour your spirit into us so that we can live the life that you've called us to live. I pray for surrender. I pray for yieldedness. I pray for openness and access. 
I pray for the fruit of the Spirit to be shown, to be seen. I pray that the, the, the world would see the fruit of life in the Spirit and then be so attracted to it that they want to have some themselves. The people who don't even know Jesus would see the fruit of the Spirit in us and then get hungry for you. That they would also want that fruit. Let this be our mission, God. Let this be our purpose. Help us to surrender to it.